how to see and share Jesus from all of Scripture, well, learn with us at the Christ Centered and Clear podcast. Welcome to the Christ Centered and Clear podcast. We're in our final week of a six-week series on how to foolproof your family by John Aiken. As you listen to this week's episode, you'll get some instruction on how to raise your children in a way that teaches them the fear of God, teaches them to know and love Christ. So listen to John as he opens the Word of God and points to Jesus Christ from the book of Proverbs. Today we're going to finish our series in the book of Proverbs on foolproofing your family. Uh, talking about children and talking about instructing children. So go to Proverbs chapter 3. We'll be in Proverbs chapter 3 here in just a second. As you're turning there, let me tell you about when I was a child, there was a rule in our house that you are not allowed to go into mom and dad's bathroom. That was a standing rule. We were not allowed to go into my parents' bathroom. And there was a really good reason for why we weren't allowed to do that, because When we were younger, my twin brother Nathan went into my parents' bathroom when they didn't know about it and was kind of rummaging through their cabinets and got a bottle of Camphophenique and apparently thought that bottle looked tasty. And so he took the lid off and he drank that bottle of Camphophenique. And my parents came in and and saw the bottle empty and what he had done and kind of were freaking out. And so what did they do? They they drove him to the emergency room to make sure that he wasn't poisoning himself. And they were in the emergency room. My dad tells me a story. They were in the emergency room. They got there at 7.30 at night. They waited till past midnight. So about five hours, they're sitting there in the waiting room. He's drunk this bottle. They don't know what's going on finally get back to see a doctor. The doctor says, why are you here? And they say, well, my, my son drank a bottle of Camphophenique. What are we, we going to do? And the doctor said, well, if nothing's happened to him by now, he's probably fine. Y'all can go back home. And my dad said, they charged me for that. They, they like made me pay money to wait five hours and then tell me everything's fine. Go home. There's nothing we can do. Okay. But that was the reason why we had a rule. It wasn't just so we wouldn't drink the bottle of Camphophenique, probably so we wouldn't spend five hours in the ER and have to pay a couple hundred dollars for it. But there was a good reason why we had a rule in my house. You are not allowed to go into mom and dad's bathroom. And in fact, that, that's really important when you are teaching your kids rules or you're instructing them about what to do that you don't just tell them what to do, but you tell them why they should do it. Because you're not always going to be around. You're not always going to be there kind of monitoring their decision-making. They've got to be, be able to make right decisions on their own. And one of the powerful ways that you're going to be able to teach your children to do the right thing, even when you're not there, is by telling them not just what to do, but why they should do it. The why motivates children to listen to your instruction even when you're not there. Even when the threat of punishment, if you break the rule, is not there, they're going to do the right thing because they are motivated by the why, the reason why it's a good thing to do. And so that's what we see here in Proverbs chapter 3. Teach your children the why as well as the what. Teach them the why as well as the what. Solomon does this with his son here in Proverbs chapter 3 
verses 1 through 10. He's trying to teach his son and urge his son to walk with the Lord, to, to, to follow the wisdom of God, to obey the word of God. He's trying to instruct his son to do that. But the way that he does that is by telling him that if you do it, God will reward you. God will bless you. He doesn't just tell him what to do. He tells him why to do it because it comes with the blessing of God. And so as we read this, I want you to be aware of it. I want you to see the odd verses are the human responsibility. The odd verses are giving the what's. He's telling his son what to do. The even verses are giving the why. He's telling him that God will bless him in certain ways. And so as we read, look at the odd verses the what, what he's telling us to do, the even versus what God will do as a blessing, as a, as a motivation, a why we should do what he's asking us to do. So look there, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1, Solomon writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Why? So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Verse 5, what? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. Why? And He will make straight your paths. Verse 7, what? Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Why? It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Verse 9, what? Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Why? Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. He tells him what to do, but he also tells him why he should do it. And we need to do the exact same thing with our children. If we want to see life change in our children, we don't just tell them the right thing to do. We tell them the reason why they should do it. And so we should pass on this teaching to our children in the same way Solomon tried to pass it on to his children. Let me, let me walk through it uh, quickly. Verse 1, again, the what? He says, my son, do not forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commandments. That word teaching there is Literally, the Hebrew word Torah, it refers to the law of God. And so he says, keep God's commands, keep my law. There's a reason why Solomon can say that. Solomon can say that because as king, when he becomes king, Deuteronomy 17 tells us, his first act as king is to write down a copy of the law, word for word, so that he'll do it and so that his dynasty and his reign will be long in the land. And so Solomon is passing that on to his son. Deuteronomy 6, teaching the law to his kids. Deuteronomy 17, that the king is to be a man of the law so that the kingdom will go smoothly. He's passing that on to his son. Keep God's commands. Keep my commands that I have written down in the Torah. Keep them, why? Verse 2, for a length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. You do this, you'll have a longer life and a better life. Is exactly what the law promised when it comes to obeying your parents, that it's going to go well with you in the land. You're going to have a longer life. You're going to have, uh, if we want to put it this way in New Testament terms, if you follow the Lord, you're going to have, yes, eternal life, longer life, but you're also going to have abundant life, a better life now, and you're going to have a longer life because you're avoiding the, the foolish mistakes that could cut your life short. Okay, if you, if you are a fool and you 
get drunk and you get in a car and drive, you could cut your life short or cut somebody else's life short. And so if you follow these wise principles, you're going to have a longer life. You're going to have a better life. You're going to have uh, that word peace, shalom. You're going to have things working well and working the way that they're supposed to in your life if you will keep the commands of God, if you will follow the word of God. Verse 3, very similar, again, to Deuteronomy 6, where parents are told to teach their children the law and to make it just so part of their house and their life and their family that you're putting it on the doorpost of the house, that kind of thing. Well, listen to what he says in verse 3. The what? Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so make the things of God, his steadfast love, his faithfulness, what he's teaching us, make it so integral to your life that you are hiding it in your heart. The old covenant, the Old Testament law was written on a stone tablet. But he's saying if you're really going to live it out, it, it can't just be words on a stone tablet. You've got to write it on your heart. You've got to hide it in your heart and internalize it so that you can then obey it. So you're to, to, to meditate on the Word of God so it becomes part of who you are. Why do you do that? Verse 4, so you'll find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. If you want your children to find acceptance with God and acceptance with other people, then teach them to write the law on their heart, to meditate on and, and make the teaching of God integral to their life. Why? It's going to bring them right relationship with God, and it's going to bring them right relationship with other people. Verse 5, very famous verse, the what? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. The essence of wisdom in Proverbs, if we want to boil it all down, it's like, what is wisdom according to Proverbs? Is boil it down to this one phrase, trust God, not yourself. Trust God, not yourself. That's the essence of wisdom. Do what God tells you to do, not what you want to do. And so you've got to teach your kids every area of your life, from morality to relationships to family to finances to work, all needs to be under the authority of God and what God has told you to do in all those areas of your life. And you've got to teach your children that, yes, there is a wisdom of the world. There's a, there's a way that the world thinks things work, and that ends in destruction. That ends in death. It may seem right to the eyes. It may seem wise to you but it ends up wrong. And then there's a heavenly wisdom, a godly wisdom that may not look right in the circumstance, but it actually is right and it leads to life and to peace. And so you've got to be able to teach your kids the difference between, world, uh, between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. The world says, hoard your possessions. Make as much money as you can. Keep as much money as you can. The Bible says this in Proverbs eleven twenty four. This is the wisdom of God. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. The world says hoard. God says give, and that's godly wisdom. The world says if somebody wrongs you, hold a grudge. Get even. The Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 21. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. The world says, hold a grudge. God says, forgive and do good to your enemies, and I'll take care of you. 
The world says brag and boast. That's the only way you're going to be able to, to, to advance yourself in the world. But God says, Proverbs 27, verse 2, let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. We've got to teach our children the difference between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. Because if you do, if you teach your kids to trust God, to not trust themselves, to follow God and not follow the world, he says, here's what's going to happen. He's going to make straight your paths. He's going to give you divine direction and divine guidance so that you are able to navigate your way through life if you will simply trust him and not lean on your own understanding. Similarly, verse 7, the what? Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Being wise in our own eyes is the essence of foolishness. You think about the original sin, the original folly, all the way back in the garden was Eve trusting what her eyes told her was true and grabbing the fruit rather than listening to the voice and the word of God. And that's the essence of foolishness in our life, doing what we think is right in our own eyes rather than what God's word has said is true. And so instead of that, fear the Lord, turn to him, trust him, not yourself, and turn away from evil, repent, and turn towards God. Why? He tells us there in verse 8, it will bring healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. This is always a promise. If you go back and read in Deuteronomy, that if the people of God would follow the law of God and be faithful to him, that he would bless them with health and that they would avoid sickness. That was what he promised all the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and other places in Deuteronomy. So, so be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, turn away from evil, because he's going to bring healing and refreshment into your life. And then finally, verse 9, when you teach our kids the what? Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Teach your children to give back to the Lord out of what he has given to them. This is something that you should model for them, that they should see this in their parents. We are called here, and he's, he's picking up again the law, to tithe from our first fruits, to give 10%, and, and, and really honestly in the Old Testament, probably more than that if you go back and look at all the different offerings. But you tithe 10% and you, and you do it off of the first fruits, not the leftovers. It's not, okay, let me use all of this stuff that God has given me and see if I have anything left over to give him. No, it's you give first and then you use what's left over for the other things that you're going to do in your life. You give back out of what he's given to you. Why? Verse 10, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. He'll give you more. If you give to him, he will give you more. I don't know why we would withhold from somebody who could give us more. I remember this story uh, Andy Stanley told this story years ago about taking his son to a Braves baseball game. And before the game, they went to the concession stand to get some snacks before they went to their seat. And his son got a bag of Skittles. He bought a bag of Skittles for his son and they go and sit down and his son opens the Skittles and is, is eating them, has a couple on his hand. And Andy says to his son, can I have one of your Skittles? And he said, his son goes, my Skittles. And he like pulls the Skittles away from his dad and and he was like, I was thinking to myself in that moment, I bought those Skittles. Like I bought the Skittles that you have in your hand and you won't give me one. Not just that, I could go back to the concession stand and buy a whole bunch of bags of Skittles and you won't let me have just 
one. You know, even more than that, I got enough money. I can invest in the company that owns Skittles. I could own the Skittles company. And yet you're telling me you're not going to give me one little Skittle when I ask for it. And yet that's the exact same thing that we do with God. He's given us everything that we have and everything else that we don't have belongs to him. And he could give us all of that that he wants to. And so why would we withhold from someone who has given us everything that we have and can give us more? I want to say this. I know it's been a very difficult time financially for many people. I know it's a, it's a very difficult season for our country. But I want to say this. For those of you who have been giving, thank you. Thank you for the way that you give consistently and faithfully so that we can do mission and ministry and see lives changed and needs met. Thank you so much for the way that you have been giving. And if you are able, then I want to encourage you and, and plead with you to continue to give. Please give. Give generously. Give sacrificially. You'll see there on the screen the website where you can log on and give online or you can mail in a, a check uh, to the church office. But please, if you are able, continue to give because we're meeting needs. We're being light in our community. We're showing and sharing the love of Jesus. And there's so many people who are hurting. And there's so many people who have physical needs and spiritual needs. And we have an opportunity to meet them. And so thank you for giving. And just want to encourage you to continue to give. And as you do, you're trusting. Listen, I know that God has provided for me. And I'm trusting that he's going to provide for me in the future. Your generosity demonstrates gratitude for what he's given and confidence that he's going to give more. And so we need to model that and teach that to our children so they grow to be those kinds of people when they grow up and when they get a job. And so teach your children the what, but you also need to give them the why. Teach your children the why as well as the what. Secondly, teach your children the who. Teach your children the who. There's two questions that when I've taught this passage before that are raised when people ask me questions afterwards, and here's the two questions. One, are these verses true? And two, do these verses teach a prosperity gospel? Okay, so let me kind of walk through those questions. One, are these verses true? John, I've tried to do everything that's laid out there in Proverbs 3, and guess what? I've been generous, but I've not gotten much in return. I'm poor. And I've tried to be not wise in my own eyes, but man, I've, I've gotten cancer and I'm sick and I'm struggling and people I love are struggling. Are these verses true because my experience raises doubts about their truthfulness? Well, let me say this, and we've said this over the last several weeks. Proverbs are promises that are generally true now, but are always ultimately true. Proverbs are promises that are generally true now, but are always ultimately true. They may not be immediately, they may not come true immediately in a fallen world. In a broken, fallen world, it is true that Christians can suffer and can experience heartache and challenges. But in the new heavens and the new earth, in paradise, you will receive every spiritual blessing and every physical blessing. Jesus, who is going to inherit the entire cosmos. We are called joint heirs with Christ if we are believers in him. And so he's going to share all of that with us. So even if it doesn't come true right now, it will come true 
ultimately. The prosperity gospel misses that because the prosperity gospel basically says that godliness is a guarantee of a pain-free life. And that's just not true. That's not what the Bible says, and that's not what our experience in this fallen world teaches us. In fact, we're going to start next week. Our summer series is going to be through uh, the parables of Jesus. And one of the parables of Jesus we'll look at in the coming weeks is Luke 16, there's this man named Lazarus who's poor, who's sick, who's suffering, but when he dies and he goes to paradise, now all of a sudden he's comforted, now he has good things, and Abraham's saying, look, in life you didn't have these good things, but now you are comforted. Even if they don't come true immediately, they will come true ultimately so you can trust in the Lord. The second reason why these verses are not teaching a prosperity gospel is because it, they bypass Jesus. They bypass Jesus. The, the prosperity gospel bypasses Jesus. Because here's the question that you and I need to ask about these verses. Who is the son who obeys them perfectly? Who is the son who obeys them perfectly? Not you and not me. In fact, we've talked about this all throughout as we looked at this in the first week of our Proverbs series. Israel in the Old Testament was called the firstborn son of God, but they failed to keep the law. They, were, they broke their covenant with the Lord. King David was a man after God's own heart, but he broke the law. He broke his covenant with the Lord. Solomon was the wisest man in the world, but he broke the covenant with the Lord. Solomon here is trying to train his son to keep the covenant, but Rehoboam disobeys the word of God, and so on and so on and so on. All of the people all of the kings, they failed and they fall, they have fallen short of the glory of God. And it caused the kingdom to be in ruin. And as we talked about the first week, there's a prophecy at the end of Proverbs that there's going to eventually come a son who follows the wisdom of Proverbs, who chooses wisdom as his bride, who establishes the kingdom, and it lasts forever. And we get to the New Testament and we finally have a son who keeps what is being talked about here in Proverbs 3. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. The Bible says about him in Luke 2 that he grew in what? Wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Exactly what Solomon says there in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 4 about favor in the sight of God and man. Jesus is the one who grew in wisdom. Jesus is the one who grew in stature and in favor with God and man. But here's the good news. Even though Jesus is the Son who's the only one who perfectly kept these verses. He died in the place of lawbreakers like you and me so that we could be forgiven. Three days later, even though his life was cut short, he was raised from the dead. He walked out of the grave and he ascended to the throne and he offers his spirit and he offers his perfect record of righteousness to anyone who will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you will believe in him, this is what he offers you, full forgiveness for your sin and foolishness. He offers the perfect record of his righteousness credited to your account. He offers the blessings of Proverbs 3, the even verses. These blessings will be true for you because you've been united to me. And he offers us his spirit who will conform us into his image so that we can walk in wisdom, so that we can trust and obey and be generous 
And this is the number one need that your children have, is that you introduce them to the who, the man, the God-man who has kept all of this wisdom, Jesus of Nazareth, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that they can grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. As children of God, as, as those who've been bought by the blood of Jesus, the Bible tells us that what we couldn't do in our flesh, we could never perfectly write the word of God on the tablet of our heart. But the Bible says that there's a new covenant that Jesus inaugurates with his blood where God himself writes the law on our heart so that we can obey God. And it's amazing that once you recognize what Jesus has done for you and you know the promises of what he promises you, he will give you if you follow him, that's an incredible motivator for you to obey God. Faith is, uh, obedience is fueled by faith in the promises of God. And so because we recognize what Jesus has done for us, and when Jesus tells us, here's why I'm telling you to do what I'm telling you to do, we can take him at his word because we know that he's going to keep his promises. And so, main problem with the prosperity gospel is not that it wants us to be physically blessed because God wants us to be physically blessed too. The problem with the prosperity gospel is it cuts Jesus out of the picture and it says you obey so that God will bless you. The problem is you've fallen short. Don't cut Jesus out of the picture. Your only hope is your relationship with Jesus. And the second problem with the prosperity gospel is it doesn't give you enough prosperity. It's offering you a prosperity that can be destroyed by rust and moths and cancer diagnoses and coffins. And Jesus offers you something so much better than those things that are going to wear out. Jesus offers you something better than him simply being a means to what you really want. He offers you himself. And he offers you something that's going to last much longer, eternal life in the age to come with our God, never to be separated again. That's what our children need more than any other. So whatever it is that you prioritize with your children, please don't let it be the type of treasure that wears out. Teach them the who, the one who is the greatest need of their soul. Thank you for listening to the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. If you have questions or topics or texts you would like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at ChristCenteredAndClear at gmail.com and please visit us at ChristCenteredAndClear.com for more resources.